Hey everyone, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the elders at Real Life Church. For those of you that don't know me, um, I'm married to Becky. We have three children, Joel, who's 17, and uh, has just finished his A-levels, Caitlin, who is 16, and just finished her GCSE. So we're almost at the end of our school careers, um, but then we've got Isaac, who is nine, and in year four, we come from South Africa originally. We feel that God called us to the UK to be part of church planting and all that God is doing here. We've we've loved it. We've loved every minute of it. It's been many years now, um, but it has not been without its challenges. Uh, none as tricky as what we're going through at the moment. The um, coronavirus lockdown and all that it it means has has been challenging for for many reasons it's been challenging because it's been devastating for for so many people um, that it's been disruptive for so many more because it's stalled the economy so significantly um, that it's it's separated families uh, but but for us the biggest challenge is probably because it has it has um, taken away the all that we we we, we put our confidence in, in terms of, of security and um, clarity of, of where we're moving. We seem to have been put on pause. And so I just wanted to say for, for all of you, if you're finding it challenging, at the moment you're not alone. We're, we're all going through it together and uh, we need to keep each other strong. So please do stay in touch and, and stay connected to, to those around you that, that love you, that can, can help you through. Um, so it's, it's in that context that I find the, the creed, the Apostles' Creed, to be remarkably helpful at this time. It's, it's certainty in a time of, 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 of confusion. And, um, and I would say that, that it's at times like this that we, we realize how important the creed is to us. Some would say that we don't need creeds, that... All we need is the Bible, and some of you may be thinking the same thing. And I, I completely understand the sentiment. Essentially, what what they're saying is is that our the basis of our faith should be in the Bible alone, and that we shouldn't be supplementing the Bible with additional material. And I completely and totally agree with that. But the challenge is this. The challenge is that every person that reads the Bible comes to it with a, a lens of some sort. And that lens, to a degree, informs their reading and interpretation of the Bible. It's unavoidable. It's um, something that, that we all have to deal with. But, but sometimes this and the importing of concepts and views from other places, whether it be religions, philosophies, politics, culture, race, results in views that are out of kilter with the, the whole teaching of Scripture. And, and that is where creeds can, can help enormously. The Apostles' Creed is in essence a reaffirming of the most basic fundamentals of the, the Christian faith in a structured way that help us to hold in our heads all that we need to be able to discern error 
and to have a, a framework upon which we can hang the story of our faith. It's coherent. It is concise. It's ordered in the correct narrative priority and it's exhaustive. The reason for this is, is that it was formed on the basis of, of many defenses of our biblical faith over many years and has so come to the aid of scripture against pretty much everything that we're likely to encounter in our day now. I guess in, in some ways it, it was formed in the same way as our own personal testimony is formed. Our personal testimony starts off fairly simply, doesn't it? We get saved and we start telling people that we believe in God. I believe in God. You, you walk around telling a few people this and you soon realize that most people agree with you. There, there are a few that say that that's crazy. There's, there's no such thing as, as God, but everyone else goes, yeah, so do I. You start off with a, a broad description of your faith and the positive result of that is that you get broad agreement. A lot of people say the same thing as you. So your, your group is big, but the negative aspect of that is that your position is, is unclear. You think you agree, but you don't necessarily. No one is quite sure what you mean. You, you know what you mean, but your testimony doesn't offer the clarity that's required for others to know precisely what you mean. They are not in your head. So you start adding more specifics to, to try and be more helpful. So you say things like, yeah, but I believe that, that Jesus is, is God. Um, and suddenly a, a number of other people who hear this disagree with you. But there are still a, a fair few that are, are comfortable with that. They may, they may play with the words a bit, um, but they don't mind the idea that, that Jesus is God. So your position becomes clearer and the scope of agreement becomes narrower. Eventually, you realize that these people don't actually believe in the Jesus you believe in. And so you continue. So you, you clarify further. And this is what a creed does for us. This is how the Apostles' Creed developed. It wasn't in addition to the Bible or to, to add anything to our faith. It was a, a process of, of clarifying what we believed for outsiders. And then it became a confession of our faith, which was narrow enough to define who believed, but was broad enough to accommodate differences within Christianity. And that's really good. It's super helpful. It's helpful for us and it's helpful for for people that that don't believe. It's this kind of certainty that we need in uncertain times when when everything that we have confidence in is is stripped away and we feel exposed and and vulnerable. This remains the bedrock of our lives. So of the Apostles Creed, we have already learnt or looked at, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. 
And today we clarify further by confessing together who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So today we get to look at the virgin birth. It's one of the, the most challenging beliefs of Christianity. It's one of those, those statements that, that make it abundantly clear if, if someone is a, a true believer or not. It's, it's very hard to, to say that you believe in the virgin birth if you don't. It's, it's very hard to try and soften the statement and make it something that it is not. And, and many have found it to be, be rather awkward. And so they've, they've looked for ways to erase it from Christianity. They've motivated that it is not necessary in the saving work of Christ. They've motivated that it is a, a mythical later addition to the scriptures, or that it, it raises ugly questions about patriarchy in the Bible. All of this because it, it is a rather awkward stumbling block on the way to faith. And it's always been so. I've, I've heard people in our contemporary world say things like, but shouldn't we know better in this day and age? I mean, we know how babies are made. Surely we, we just need to erase that now as, a, as, a, as a, an ancient belief of naive people. But the truth is, 2000 years ago, they, they also knew how babies were made. And the idea of a virgin giving birth was as ridiculous then as it was as it is now. And I guess in some senses, that's the very point of it. It is almost like it's a, a gateway that you have to um, intentionally open if you're going to continue on your journey of faith. And to do that, you have to consider it carefully. You have to deal with your own um, skepticism at first and then go on further but at the end of the day it has always been a stumbling block and i really believe that that is part of its role in our faith and for christians let's be honest we believe in god the god who created everything in the universe with his word we believe in the god who created man in his image the god who divided the red sea and turned water into wine and raised the dead and fed five thousand with with five loaves and two fish and who happened to rise from the dead himself never to die again and who we believe rules and reigns now at the right hand of the father and he is living and active and intervenes right now on behalf of his church all of the time for his glory. And he'll be returning in bodily form, not in some kind of weird spiritual way, but in, in a real physical way, a manifest way that we will all see and all experience, whether we believe or we don't. We believe in the new heavens and the the new earth and we believe in a, a future where there is no sickness and no pain and there's no tears and there's no death so i don't think that christians should find it hard to believe that that same god chose to cause a virgin to conceive and in that way to bring himself messiah to us and this is it this is 
This is where the God we claim to exist touches earth. He, he touches us. He, he, he becomes us by being born to a, a poor girl in a, a small town in the middle of nowhere to live an existence of obscurity, to struggle with hunger and, and needing to work hard and having to deal with suffering and death and rejection and scorn. It all starts with God fulfilling a prophecy and causing Mary to be with son, even though she has never known a man. The result being a, a child who was fully human and at the same time fully divine. He had no earthly father. Man could not claim any part in his creation. It's remarkable. We read about it in many places in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament prophecies, and and then of the birth in, in Matthew and in Luke. We're going to, to look at Luke. So if you want to open your Bibles to, to Luke 1, we're going to look at verse 26 and we're going to read through to verse 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angels went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. So I'm not going to spend any time today in the objections or, or why the virgin birth was necessary. What I, I would rather do with the time left is to look at what it means. What it means about God, what it means about Christ, what it means in terms of our salvation and, and what it offers us in terms of application. What does it mean for us now that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin? Is it an awkward fact and nothing more? Or is it something fundamentally greater than that? So the first thing to acknowledge is that this is a miracle. That's, that's the point of, of this God coming to earth in a miraculous way. We've already uh, established over the course of history that it's been duly noted that virgins don't have babies. Generally, when this 
claim is made it's a lie and it's a, a poor lie that that everybody sees through so this is a miracle it's a miracle that was difficult for for mary it was difficult for joseph and it was challenging to the society in which they lived yet it was a miracle mary needed convincing that this would happen and the gate that the archangel pointed to to her relative elizabeth who has been barren and is now six months pregnant as evidence that what god says will come to pass will so it's a miracle it's a miracle and it's a sign it's a sign that is linked to an explicit prophecy that god will send his messiah through a virgin to israel and god makes a clear announcement of the deliverer who is a, about to be born in in this this amazing way but in in such a way that only those who were looking for it would would see it 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 didn't happen on the the stages of earth uh, it didn't happen in in the palaces it didn't happen in the cities it happened in backstage it happened shrouded from public view in a a small village in a a, a backwater area of the middle of nowhere and this leads me to the next point that that he is an israelite that he comes as a fulfillment of many promises from god that that he would fulfill his mission of redemption through the people of israel that the savior of all people everywhere would come from these specific people and he forever jesus forever ties christianity to its hebrew roots and reminds us that he's the focal point of god's narrative from from genesis all the way through to revelation he is he is the satisfaction of all of the requirements of the old testament and he is the hope of fulfillment of all that is is promised in the new testament what we see in in this infancy story is is the explanation of of god's mission to bring the sons of adam into a relationship with him through the sons of israel in fact through a very special son of israel the, the messianic seed of abraham the the royal son of david a new son of adam the son of mary who is in fact the beloved son of god jesus is god's son he was not conceived by a, a man he was not created in the same way as all men but was begotten by god himself he was the first and the only of his kind he's he's not only fully god and and pre-existent but he's also fully man he was born in the the same way as we are all born his labor was traumatic as ours were and he was completely helpless as we were and he grew up in the same way as we all do 
learning from his parents and his community and competing with his brothers and his sisters and having to contribute to the family chores and business. He grew up. He watched his family get old. He suffered tragedy and pain and confusion and cold and heat and thirst and hunger. He was God's own son, but he himself called himself the Son of Man. It was one of his favorite titles for himself. He is uniquely placed because of this to, to be in God's presence and to identify completely with man. He is the perfect mediator between God and man. He completely understands what it is to be God and he completely understands what it is to be human. He's the one who is holy and yet completely identifies with all of our earthiness. And this is, this is what we call the incarnation of God. There's a phrase for it. We say, God with us. When we see the virgin birth, we talk about God with us. The incarnation, the God of the whole universe, of all of creation, coming and humbling himself and being born as a baby. And then we see as well that the Holy Spirit is present and very involved at the very beginning of, of Christ's time on earth. Jesus wasn't separated from his father and from the Holy Spirit at conception and then kind of uh, re reunited with them when he was baptized. It Actually, the Holy Spirit was with him throughout and the father was with him throughout. The Holy Spirit was 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 inextricably involved in his very conception and um, and he was very conscious of the Holy Spirit as he was a child. Now one of the the roles of the Holy Spirit that we see in Jesus's ministry is is to offer proof through signs and wonders that the kingdom of God had in Christ finally come and and so when we look at at the presence of the Holy Spirit here, his role in Jesus's conception, what we see is, is the very first reminder of the, the, the kingdom being at hand. Here's the Holy Spirit doing his first work of proof that the kingdom of God is here in Christ. And then the virgin conception means that God's new world has at last become a reality. In a very real sense, in Jesus is the new creation, a new type of existence. Jesus is the new Adam, and he will be called the firstborn of many brothers. When he ascended from the tomb, it, it, it was with a, a new type of glorified body. It was not completely spirit and not completely physical but but both and it worked in a way that we don't completely understand but that wonderful body that amazing new creation that started at his conception a new creation and finally the birth of Jesus teaches us about the defeat of Satan I don't know if 
time now, but, but go and read Revelation 12 and read it with the birth of Christ in mind. Read it as a nativity scene. And you, you uh, just a warning, some of the, 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 the scenery is, is fairly graphic and um, not what you'd expect in a traditional nativity scene. But what you read in Revelation 12 is about a, a great heavenly battle that is, is raging. And it is raging over the birth of the Messiah. And what's important to note when you read Revelation 12 is that Satan is defeated in this great heavenly battle. And Satan is defeated at the point that the Messiah, that Jesus Christ, is born. So when we look at the conception of Jesus, we learn about the defeat of Satan. When we look back at Christmas, it's not with hope that Satan will one day be defeated. It's with joy and celebration that, that Christmas is, is, is contained in Easter, that the joy of the victory over Satan is there at the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus marks the end of evil, sin, pain and death. So what does this mean for us now while we continue with lockdown living and and beyond lockdown living? Because this this will end at some point. I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but it will end at some point. We will need to be moving around together. We will be able to get back together and, and gather as a church and celebrate and worship and share communion together. The economy will bounce back. Things might look different forever, but they're not going to stay the way they are now. So what, is, what does all of this mean for us? What does, what does it mean for us in the here and now to hear that Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin? Well, firstly, we need to know that, that Jesus is fully God and is fully man. And that is good news for us he is, it is good news for us now because because um, he experienced everything that we are experiencing this means that he he totally gets us when we are thrown into an unfamiliar unprecedented situation with no roadmap no compass and and no visibility he completely understands when we feel utterly lost and rudderless he's he's been there he's been in the storm in a boat with his disciples completely freaking out and he being fully man was sleeping but he did wake up and he took pity on them and he calmed the wind and the waves and he directed them safely out of the storm and and he can do exactly the same for us he can do exactly the same for you he can calm the wind and the waves and guide us out of the storm and he'll do that for you but he'll do something even greater that's an amazing gift but he'll give us an even greater one he will he will teach us how to sleep in our father's arms while in the storm and that's a great encouragement to us secondly the virgin birth is a, a miracle and in that miracle there is a, a challenge for us it's a miracle that that can be a bit awkward 
a bit of an awkward one to, to tell people about when you're giving your testimony. And yet, it is an absolute essential part of the faith that makes sense, that explains so much of Christ's work in, in so many beautiful ways. And I guess the challenge for us as we, as we look at that is to think about what other awkward parts of our faith do we avoid talking about for, for many reasons. Um, maybe we avoid talking about them because we want to include as, as many people in our, our journey as, as possible. Or, or maybe it's because we, we, don't wanna, we just don't want to look crazy. But I'd, I'd like to ask you to consider what the consequences are of us watering down our faith to make it more palatable. What would the consequences have been for Christianity if our church fathers had not stood on the biblical precedent of what we believe and fought the good fight against the objections that came their way, which resulted in the, the Apostles' Creed? What would we look like now? Creed has protected biblical truth for us over thousands of years. And I'd like to ask that we pray and ask God to use our own mouths as a reliable creed to our faith. And that it will be accurate enough so that there's clarity and that that would offer people a real informed choice about faith. But it would be broad enough to embrace our fellow brothers and sisters who have a different way of expressing their faith. And finally, Jesus is the medium for the delivery of God's redemption plan for all of mankind. And that includes you. When Jesus, the Israelite, was chosen to be the redeemer for all people in all the world, that included you. It included everyone you know, and it includes all of those that you don't like, but that you're too polite to say. Jesus is God's plan to save us all. And there may be some of you that are listening to this and you've, you haven't heard that before. Or perhaps you, you haven't heard it put in that way before, but Jesus is this way for you as well. His offer is for everyone and he'll happily meet you exactly where you are. But I must warn you, once he meets you, he, he takes you on a journey. He, he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He will change you. And if you want to meet him, all you need to do is pray to him and ask him to come and be your Lord and Savior. And then get in touch with some Christians. It's really important that you share this and, and you ask people to, to help you as you as you journey in your faith, but get in touch with some Christians that you, you know, and share with them what you've done and ask them to help you with the next steps. In closing, I, I thought as a prayer, it would be good if we read the creed out together. So I'll read it out slowly. And if you can repeat, that would be brilliant. One of the things that we're encouraging everybody to do at Real Life Church is to to learn the creed off by heart. So use this as an opportunity to, to practice and um, use it as a, a prayer 
um, as you consider the holiness of God and how amazing he is and, and use it as a, a confession as you remind yourself of what you believe and then use it as a way of starting to tell your story of faith to the people that you love and care for. Let's read together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you missed them, there are links on the screen right now for, for Real Life Kids, for the activities. And there's a, a worship playlist that you can use to, to fill your day with song. Thank you so much for listening, and I trust that you have a brilliant week further.